0: Okay, James, I don't think we'll be able to hide it from our patrons that this is not a long time <laughs> in between recordings because I still sound <laughs> like uh, I have a frog in my throat. So Yeah,
1: it's been, what, it took about two minutes to get our files saved and get <laughs> everything figured out, maybe three yeah.
0: minutes. Pulling back the curtain just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes James and I, well, uh, lately we've been doing it more often in the mornings. Um. Making some of our recordings, and that means I have to get up at around four o'clock in the morning <laughs> to get myself together for a recording in order to meet up with James's time because we're not we're an hour different, yeah, and so I have my my morning groggy voice on top of uh on top of my cold,
1: yeah, I was definitely a little bit groggy myself. this is I mean I don't have to get up quite as early. I woke up at five thirty. We are definitely.
0: Out of our out of our youthful days, now that we can, (laughs) we're running schedules like this. Yep. Uh, Well, let's get right into your your science thing, but this time your science thing got so big, it just wanted to take over the whole episode. (laughs) So we're (laughs) yeah we're just gonna let it let it flow into the main topic for today. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the the international space station mm-hmm. and why is there after all these years still only one international space station
1: well uh, the main i mean d- just to sum it up in one word it's money yeah yeah this was this was a question that Sean put in our notes a while back wondering why is there only one iss and uh thought well, oh, this would be a good thing to talk about today especially since there's been, with the whole Ukraine conflict and sanctions against Russia and tensions rising pretty rapidly between the United States and Russia, even though they haven't really been great for the last decade, probably. Mm-hmm. That's uh, The ISS is, is directly in that conflict, so that was kind of why it, I thought maybe it was a good topic to discuss now. They started building the ISS. Well, first of all, what is the ISS? Well, just to, just to kind of get down to basics. So the ISS is, a, is the International Space Station. So what does that mean? Well, it's international in that there's a number of different countries. So the two main countries are Russia and the United States, but you also have the European Union, which is made up of what used to be England, but not anymore. <laughs> uh, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, and a number of other countries support it. Then you also have Japan and Canada. Those are kind of the three big... So the European Union, Japan, and Canada are the three big funders of the ISS. Back in the 1980s, I believe, there was this vision for what I think Reagan was calling... Reagan and then Bush, first Bush, were calling Space Station Freedom. Okay. Something like that, which sounds very much like something... <laughs> Like something that would be on r slash uh, America subreddit, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds definitely like it came from the states. <laughs> yeah, um, so they were they were thinking to do that, but it was very expensive, and it never never quite happened. Then the Soviet Union fell in the early nineties, and they decided, hey, let's as part of trying to get you know to be friends again with with the Russians, let's work together on this space station because during the nineties there was the space station mir the mir space station which was the first um modular space station so it wasn't made up of one piece mhm the, the united states had a space station in the early 70s and now i can't think of what it's called oh it's called skylab and that was it was really big then the russians had a number of smaller space stations that was just like one rocket launched it into space and then it was visited by astronauts a couple of times. They mm. had a number of those. They were called the Salyut space stations. But then they did this Mir space station, which was made up of multiple pieces stuck together. And if you see a picture of it in space, especially toward the end of its life, it looks like it looks extremely old and decrepit. And like, how is this mm. thing even staying together? It looks <laughs> it looks like you know, humans should not be inside this thing. Anyway. <laughs> Um, there were fires on Mir and all sorts of problems. Oh, no. Thankfully oh, no. there was nobody ever died, but it it came pretty close a time or two. There was one time a resupply uh ship was that was supposed to dock with Mir to bring water and food and other uh experiments. It ran into the space station. Oh
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. It just crashed into it. So they wanted to have a successor that would be a modular space station just like Mir, but they were going to work together with the Russians in the United States and some of these other countries. So they started putting it together in the early, sorry, the late 90s. So uh, 1998, I think, is when the first, yeah, they launched the first module of the space station, which I think was called the Zarya module. I'm not totally sure. There's the Zarya module and the Zvezda module, which I actually learned how to pronounce this time. <laughs> that were both launched fairly close together. And in there, there was also an American module. So they started kind of plugging together, kind of like Legos or uh, maybe Tinker Toys. I don't know if you ever used Tinker Toys. So they started kind of putting together and it was built over the course of... They started building it in 1998 and it was actively being built up to 2011, which is when the, the space shuttle was retired. That was... Really, the space shuttle was one of the main the main things that was used to launch stuff to the International Space Station. And that's part of the reason why it was so expensive was the space shuttle, although it looks really cool and had some really interesting things it could do, it was pretty horrible at getting things to space cheaply, mm. which ironically is exactly why it was designed. It was designed to make access to space cheaper, but it actually made it more expensive. Oh, no. <laughs> um you know, like, leave it to the government to do that. You had one job <laughs> <laughs> exactly, so I think each each pound I'm not sure if it's pound or kilogram. I get my numbers mixed up, but I think maybe per kilogram, it cost around twenty thousand dollars or so to get something oh, into space wow. <laughs> so when and that's
0: in yeah, without figuring for inflation
1: yeah, and when you when you are lifting things into space. The entire space station call, weighs, I'm thinking it's around a million pounds. It's incredibly heavy. You can imagine if, if, if each kilogram, which is 2.2 pounds roughly, costs $20,000 to get into space, and you have something that weighs a million pounds, which is roughly 500,000 kilograms. Um, you know, you do the math, <laughs> it mm-hmm. uh, gets pretty expensive mm-hmm. pretty quick. And that's just, that's just lifting all the pieces up there. You still have to lift the people up and the supplies and the rocket fuel and the oxygen and the water and everything else. And so it's incredibly expensive. I think one of the latest numbers that I saw, it cost at least $100 billion and possibly more than that. So that's the reason wow. why there's only one is because of how expensive it is. And I don't think we could hardly make use of more than one. Because to launch people and supplies is very expensive. And so we can't spend so much money to do that. So we really can't. It's kind of like you're going to vacation to this really plush lake house and it costs $1,000 a week. Well, you can't go there every single Mm. week. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, so you kind of have to, you have your budget, you have to stay within. So besides fighting off aliens, what does the
0: International Space Station do?
1: Yeah. Well, it doesn't actually fight off aliens, but I think you knew that. (laughs) Yeah, it it is. The main thing is is zero G or microgravity research. Mm -hmm. So there's some types of there's some types of things that can only be done in zero gravity, Uh, both industrial things. So they've worked. They've been working on growing um, or making uh, glass fibers like fiber optics. I think they've been doing that. And growing uh, certain types of crystals and things that it doesn't work in gravity or I shouldn't say in gravity because technically the space station is, you know, there is gravity. It's being held to the earth. Mm -hmm. That's why it goes around the earth. It doesn't just shoot off into space is because there is gravity. Right. But because it's in a constant free fall, it appears that there's no gravity. Uh, So there's no weight, but there is actually gravity, which is maybe kind of confusing. So oftentimes, instead of saying that there's no gravity, they say it's microgravity, which is kind of another term sure. so they use that. they also use it for research on how how plants grow in zero gravity and how humans how our bodies adapt and are damaged by being in zero gravity or microgravity rather basically research for further space space exploration is part of it so. That's, that's a lot of what it is, is it's just a research platform. And that's what most of the astronauts do. They it takes a certain amount of time to maintain the space station. They have to do spacewalks, go out and work on things, replace equipment. But a lot of what they do is simply just research. Of course, there's also pictures that they take. There's this really neat thing called the cupola, which points toward Earth And it has, I think, seven windows, maybe. Some of them are fairly large that they can take pictures out of. So you can see all these amazing pictures that astronauts take on the space station. Speaking of spacewalks
0: and making repairs, what is the state of the ISS? So it's been up there since um, the late
1: 90s, early 2000s. How is it holding up in space? Before I get to that, I have one more thing I want to mention, or a couple things, and then I'll get to that question. I mentioned that it was built in different stages; all these different pieces were kind of going together. Mm-hmm. It was pretty complicated. So we're going to put a link in the show notes that shows an animation of all the different pieces that were going up and the times that they went up and how they were moved around. Oh, neat! It's quite complicated. Um, we'll put that there, and you can you can kind of see see what was going on and see why it cost so much money yeah. to do. Yeah. So. Um, and then also, as far as the amount of money it takes to keep it going, it cost, in 2021, I actually found the U.S. budget for it. In 2021, it cost $1.3 billion to maintain the space station and different costs related to the space station. Uh, but then, it's also an additional about $1.9 billion to transport crew and cargo to the space station hmm. in 2021. So that is a total of, let me do... So that would be over three billion dollars. Yeah, three point two billion just for the space station. So it's very expensive, which is why you know we we can't do it so much. It's a very expensive oil change and rotation of the tires. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, they're currently working on uh replacing the solar panels. Well, not really replacing; like they're not taking off the old ones, but they're putting on new solar panels. They are actually smaller than the old ones. But they are more efficient they're newer hmm. also uh, solar panels in space they degrade fairly quickly, so they're uh, they lose capacity over time, and these have been up there for you know ten plus years, some of them so uh, the question is you know is the ISS worth the cost i don't know that could certainly be argued one way or the other. The budget of NASA is only about point five percent of the total u s budget, so it's less than one percent of of all the, the money that the U S government spends mm-hmm. and the ISS budget is a fraction of that 0.5% per, uh, percent. So in a sense, I mean, three billion seems like a lot of money, but as government programs go, it's actually relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that it does do is it does drive forward a lot of technology development. So there, uh, the space program has cost huge amounts of money over the years, but things like cell phones, um, I believe like microwaves, and there are many other things that I can't think of right now who even invent advances in solar panels, yeah, exactly. Um, that was the first use of solar panels, I believe was in space because there's not really any good way to power things in space, but you have this gigantic ball of energy ninety three million miles away. and so if you can tap into that, so the first solar panels, they were horrendously expensive. But because they needed energy, it didn't matter how much it cost, they put them in space. And so that, that spurred further development in solar panels. So quite likely, solar panels would not be as cheap or as useful today if it wouldn't be for the space program. So it's uh, it's kind of hard to say whether it's worth it. I mean, I think that it is. There's a lot of benefits we don't really see directly. Yeah, and I think part of the benefit is simply just awe and wonder. I think it's, you know, God has given us creative powers and abilities to do amazing things. I think that's one of the amazing things we can do. You can go out in the evening when it's just gotten dark, and if it's the right time, you can see the space station go go across, and it's just amazing to me to look up and say, you know, there are seven humans up there (laughs) um, on that thing that's zipping around the Earth at 17,000 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. It's just incredible. You know, to some people, that's not not worth the money, and that's fine, but uh, to me, I think it's worth it. Well, and some of the
0: unintended consequences or uh, benefits, maybe. If I could do a throwback to our uh, Lake Titicaca episode, a lot of those islands have have solar panels for their electricity, have small satellites for Wi-Fi, and have uh, cell phones. And this is a way that they can stay connected with the rest of the world. And so, directly or indirectly, even the... Aymara people on the floating islands of Lake Titicaca are being affected by some of the advancements mm-hmm. that come out of the um, research and development from the ISS.
1: Yeah, and I think the government, you know, part of their reasoning as well is that something like the International Space Station is very inspiring and it can inspire young children who saw videos or heard about the space station when they were younger. It can inspire them to to learn more about science and math and engineering so that way we have a future generation you know most of the people you know almost everybody that studies that sort of thing won't go to the space station but they might be able to work on some some hardware that might go there or they can just become an engineer that can then work on just the many the many things around us whether it's roads cars batteries those all take engineers and that engineer might've been inspired to, to study engineering by the space program. Mm -hmm. That's, that's one that that's something that's a little bit harder to get your hand around. Yeah. It's a source of inspiration. So you asked the the international space station and what its status is and well, it is wearing out. It has been in space for parts of it have been in space for over 20 years. As it goes around the earth, it goes from light to dark and back again And it goes from the the day side to the night side. And each time it does that, there's an incredible difference in temperature. Mm -hmm. And I think one of our first For What It's Worth episodes, I talked a little bit about that, that on the moon, it's it's actually really, really hot on the one side, but really, really cold on the other. Right. And it's the same way in space. There's that cycling of temperature. And most of materials that are sent into space, they use a lot of aluminum in their structure because aluminum is relatively strong and light and aluminum has a finite lifespan as it as it expands and contracts it uh, slowly starts to wear out basically and eventually it'll start forming cracks and the one episode where we talked about the russian space program and the anti-satellite test that they did a while back uh, i mentioned that the Zvezda module had cracks in it It turns out it's actually the Zarya module I had that wrong but it does seem like there are some small cracks in the Zarya module and the Zarya module is I'm almost thinking it's one of the first modules that was launched it's either the first one or maybe the third one that was launched and attached it's been up there for almost the entire time Mm -hmm. and it's also a very crucial part the Russian segment of the space station so there's uh, there's a Russian segment where almost all the Russian parts are kind of put together, and then there's the international segment, which is where the American, uh, European, and Japanese modules are kind of put together. The Russian segment is involved in helping to reboost the space station so it doesn't fall into the atmosphere. Mm. the The American or the international segment is involved in providing energy from solar panels, so they kind of work together. And if you take one away, then it's likely the space station could hardly sustain itself for various reasons so the Zarya module is wearing out and of course now the Russian space program administrator Dmitry Rogozin has been threatening to pull out of the space station basically just disconnect the Russian modules and just take them off to be their own free-floating space station which they probably wouldn't survive so it's more bluster than anything Uh but the future of the space station is somewhat in doubt Currently, it's it's supposed to be funded out to 2030, I believe, by Congress, um, and after that time, it's going to be deorbited. At least that's the plan. But currently, the Russian the Russian side they're not sure if it'll even survive till 2030. I see. And even if it even if it would survive, there's not a guarantee that the Russians will actually stick around till 2030. So huh, there's some pretty big questions about how much longer it's going to be up there. You know, there's some people that that say, well, we've spent all this money. We want to keep it up there as long as we can. Uh, and that makes sense. But then there are others that say, hey, this thing is wearing out. It's it's served us well, but it's time to move on and deorbit it, which, you know, deorbiting something that weighs a million pounds, <laughs> uh, you definitely want to make sure it doesn't come down somebody's yeah, head. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's 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 not it's not a small task. Um I might actually link another video, I think maybe by Scott Manley that mentions what it would take to deorbit the space station it won't be of any interest to maybe some of you but maybe there's a couple fellow space nerds that would uh, <laughs> enjoy watching it so i'll try to remember to put that in the show notes so yeah there's a good chance that by 2030 um or even before then depending on what happens with zarya module that it's going to it's going to be over it's going to be gone um so there are currently space stations being proposed by companies like Axiom Space and Blue Origin that would in a sense take the place of the international space station. So currently the government is responsible for maintaining the space station, but these private companies would be responsible for maintaining their space stations and the government would simply rent space on it uh-huh. instead of of building their own, which that's already happened in a sense. So SpaceX and some other companies are Currently helping to to ferry crew and cargo to the space station, so the uh, the government just you know just gives out a contract and just buys buys cargo and crew flights, which ends up being a lot cheaper than them doing it themselves using the space shuttle. Um, I think the amount of what is it the cost to get a kilogram up to the space station on the Falcon Nine is maybe $2000 a oh, kilogram wow. or something like that. Yeah, big savings. So it's so, so it's around a 10, yeah, it's it's uh, 10 times cheaper approximately than the space shuttle already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a huge savings. Um and so there's some people that really are sad that the space shuttle isn't flying anymore. I'm glad that it isn't. I mean, it's it's a really majestic machine, but it was very expensive and it was also very deadly. A total of 14 astronauts died. To to the the Challenger disaster and the uh, Columbia disaster, mm-hmm. I think it was it was showing that it it was maybe a, a kind of a neat idea, but it, when it came to real life, it didn't work its way out that well. So, thanks for explaining some big ideas about space. I'm going to come all the
0: way down to some really small ideas about <laughs> about my life right now. Okay, uh, still being fascinated with my cold. I told someone the other day that I was sick, and they said, uh, "Is it coronavirus?" And kind of laughing, mm. and I didn't, I didn't reply to them, but I, I did think and went and and checked to be sure that sometimes um, a not insignificant amount of times the common cold is a coronavirus, mm-hmm. and so it was, a lot of times it is a a rhinovirus i think i said in the last episode a ronavirus but i think it is a rhinovirus but there is a percentage of times that it is a coronavirus and so there are actually like half a dozen different coronaviruses that are uh, found Mm -hmm. commonly around the world as common colds this is i think part of what led to this uh this idea or this um uh (laughs) I'm not sure there was this phrase phraseology going around at the beginning of the covid nineteen pandemic that it is no different from the common cold, and in some aspects that's true because it is a coronavirus and has it is in the same family has a lot of similar attributes et cetera mm-hmm. and so in that in that case um it is a lot like the the common cold, yeah, but there are. Uh, Three or four, mm-hmm. three, three coronaviruses that are a lot more severe and they are the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus, the Middle East respiratory syndrome related coronavirus, and the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 19. And so we would know those commonly as SARS and um, MERS and SARS COVID-19. Mm-hmm. What makes these different from the one that we find in the common cold is that they are acute respiratory syndrome, which mm-hmm. means that it affects both the upper respiratory system and the lower respiratory system at the same time. I knew this, but, but um, I was fascinated again to just reaffirm or relearn where is where would you say James upper respiratory system, um, is?
1: Well, I would say nasal cavity, throat, mouth, um, trachea, basically everything that's not like in your actual lungs is what I would call upper respiratory. And so uh, that's that's accurate. From the tip of your nose to the
0: tip of your lungs, essentially, is upper respiratory. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we have a cold and it's in our head. We call it a head cold. Sometimes we have a cold and it's in our chest we call it a chest cold but these acute respiratory syndromes are when it's both at the same time so you essentially have no relief in your respiratory system which means you can't breathe (laughs) (laughs) and not being able to breathe is bad especially when you're at 11,000 feet (laughs) (laughs) this is true also a COVID-19 fact or a coronavirus fact um I want to include uh, a link for um, Worldometers, which includes uh, has a lot of data of like year to date things that are going on. Um, one of them being, uh, interestingly, that we're almost at eight billion people in the world. Mm-hmm. But um, another one one point that it's tracking uh, since the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. Is how many people are are dying from this coronavirus, and so so far in twenty twenty two, um, as of May eleventh, there have been six million two hundred eighty thousand deaths that are officially attributed, uh, officially, that are officially attributed to COVID nineteen, the coronavirus, whereas mm-hmm. uh, the common cold. Is in the United States is like in under a thousand cases, I think. And uh, the flu influenza, which is a different strain, a different virus altogether, is like at a hundred thousand something. Mm-hmm. And so, to give you a little bit of a perspective, uh, both coronaviruses are respiratory problems, they can kill people. But saying it's the same as the common cold <laughs> isn't quite accurate. Mm-hmm and um also the common cold generally uh comes and goes without affecting the body too much whereas we're finding because covid-19 is a acute respiratory uh virus it affects the body on a on a nervous level and um even affecting the brain and other uh other aspects of the body long term and I have really noticed that for myself, having now had COVID, uh, I think, three times. <laughs> um, now, I'm not sure about that, but it <laughs> it b- bears out my point well, is that um, I cannot remember stuff like I could before. I used to be kind of a bit um, proud of being able to remember lots of details about things. But anymore, I really have to depend on, on my wife and others to help me remember Events that happened even not very long ago. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting to see how my brain has changed after. I think mostly after the very first one, which was rather acute and had I had a high temperature for a long time.
1: Yeah, it's definitely nothing to to mess with. I just recently heard that somebody that I've worked with a little bit, uh, a younger lady. Well, I say younger. She's a year or so younger than I am, I believe. She has been. She got COVID a couple months ago, and she is dealing with, um, basically it affected her heart. And so she's having issues with her heart Mm -hmm. racing and like her, her heart rate will just all of a sudden just spike for some reason. And she's also really tired. She's a school teacher. And so she has a hard time getting through the school week. Uh, somebody told me just the other day that she gets through the week. She recovers a little bit on the weekend, just enough to where she can teach the next week. So it's pretty, yeah. So, it's, it's really strange that something that is a respiratory virus is affecting your heart. It's really, really weird. It's uh it seems like it's, it's affected all parts of the body in a lot of ways. So, and
0: while I'm still recording the, I said that 6 million deaths were in uh 2022. That is actually from t- the beginning of 2020 up in until now mm-hmm. we're in, in the same and same area it would have been a couple hundred thousand, cases of the other. So I'll include those links where you all can look over them and and see the data for yourself.